This is Mate, a podcast about marketing, advertising, technology, and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey, and I'm a digital strategist, a podcaster, and an entrepreneur. Today, I'm speaking to Thomas Barter, who is a management consultant turned author, and he's done some fascinating research about how to be a better marketer. And uh, a quick tip, um, it's not in your technical marketing skills. It's really more about proving the value of marketing within the wider organization and about your leadership and management skills. So not only will this discussion shake up your idea of what it means to be a good marketing practitioner, but it may also be some good career advice as well. So let's go talk to him. So who are you and what do you do? Hi, I'm Thomas Barta. I am a marketer turned McKinsey partner turned organizational psychologist and I help marketers raise their profile in organizations. I'm also the author of a book called The 12 Powers of a Marketing Leader. Wow, there's a lot behind that. Where, you know what, where do you think we should start out of, um, out of all the topics that you listed? <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we start with what you think about marketers? We can take it from there. How, how about that? I like this. This is interview the interviewer. Um, I, <laughs> I usually don't have uh, people asking me questions. So, what do I think about marketers? Well, I've spent my career uh, in advertising agencies. So, most of my um, professional experience has centered around marketing uh, in the sense of one of the four Ps that marketers are meant to focus on. You know, we've got our four Ps, um, the marketing mix, price, product, promotion, and place. And most of what I've spent my time on is about promotion, advertising, ads, communication with customers. And then more recently in my experience, I've spent time um, working in digital strategy. And that's more of a, I guess, a partnership role with uh, senior marketers within organizations, trying to help them understand their customers better and understand their channels better, and then helping them um, to make better marketing decisions. Now, since starting this podcast um, many months ago, I think I've learned a lot um, about marketing from the amazing people that I've had on, such as yourself, that there's a whole other field of marketing outside of what I've kind of learned. And uh, and I think that's also what your book talks about um, in, in a sense, and then how to kind of apply it and bring marketing's profile up uh, within an organization. Would you agree with that summary? I would agree, and and I think um, what what you have just explained shows the challenge that many marketers have, and that's also the reason why um, we felt you know it's time for a real leadership book for marketers to help deal with the challenges, and that's what the Twelve Powers is about. This is actually a leadership book for marketers to deal with a complicated job. It's not a marketing book. And what's interesting in what you said is you describe marketing as the four P's. You describe that you have access or you have worked a lot on one P with people. I think um, the marketing role is challenging for a number of reasons. And that ambiguity you talked about is one of them. If you think about the marketing job, right? every marketer typically faces a trust gap in their organizations, and the reason for this trust gap is pretty simple. Most of what marketers do is about the future. Future revenue, future customers, future this and future that. And what do you say to someone who tells you, I know the future? Right? You, you're skeptical. <laughs> so you're skeptical. Fortune right? tellers. So, exactly. Because you're, that's exactly right. And I think even if you're very credible as a marketer, the best thing you can become is the best 
most credible fortune teller. And that's when mm. you stand. And next. in a way, I th- unfortunately, marketing is is being merged in a way in people's minds with sales, and people think of sales as kind of slimy people that try and persuade you to buy things that you don't actually need. So there's kind of those two interplays happening to um, create a bit of an an icky uh, kind of feeling um, about marketers. Well, first of all, we think about how companies operate, uh, right? I mean, you, you invent a product and then you find a customer. And you know, to find that customer, you, of course, you do need sales, but you do need people who create a desire for that product. And that's what marketers are centrally doing. Of course, it's a very linked uh, role. Uh, the role is very linked with sales. The challenge that marketers are having, and that's the second gap we're facing, is a, is a power gap because if you think about the four Ps, and a, and, a, and a real, you know, kind of proud marketer would think of themselves as someone that thinks about the product, the price, the place, and the promotion. This has to be very linked with sales. The reality, however, is that because of the reporting lines, marketers are may may want to think about the four Ps, but very rarely they're calling all the shots. So it's very linked with sales, it's very linked with innovation, it's very linked with finance, it's very linked with many roles, although the marketers don't have the reporting lines. And that's another massive leadership challenge, because how do you influence the four Ps if you're not having a reporting power? Yeah, and I've noticed this happen in organizations that I've worked with. You know, there's, I guess what what you're saying is there's many marketing tasks or functions or responsibilities that are performed by people that don't work within the marketing role or within the marketing, um, I guess, vertical. Uh, there's operations and all these kinds of things. And that's actually a really big challenge um, for marketers. And, and that's kind of, like you were saying before, the second um, thing that's, that's kind of impacting this challenge that marketers have within organizations. Yeah, and you're right. But but I'd say that's the, that's the reality of the job. And I think we, um, all we need, what we need to do is just accept this and say, right, that's the reality. That's why as a marketer, it's not good enough to just know how to do marketing. You, you really have to be good at um, working the organization. Yeah? You have to be good at two things. One is understanding customers and their needs, but also understanding the organization and the organization's needs, and then be able to play on both sides. And many marketers in the past have really focused on customers, try to do the best they can there, um, but then they haven't spent a lot of time in the organization, rather, they thought, well, the organization has to understand it one day, you know, what's right, you know, why don't they see it? But the reality is, as a marketer, you have to be a great marketer internally, too. It's almost like you have to market marketing That's right. internally to the rest of the organization. <laughs> Segmentation, um, needs analysis, positioning, and campaigning. It's exactly how it works. Just think about it. I mean, think about the great customer experience, something that we all love, right? I mean, you're an airline. You are. You happen to be like uh, an American airline, right, that promises to have, you know, the friendly skies or what have you, right? So who do you need to join in to make this promise happen? It's almost everybody in the organization and marketers will want to take charge of that promise, but they can't because most people don't report to marketing. So that challenge is always there. That's why it's so important. It's nothing we should fr- be frustrated about. It's, it's a matter of fact that we are in charge of everything, which is fine and which will never change. So let's, let's work the system and let's learn, like in the market, how we create movement. 
So, Thomas, do you think that marketing is is seen by people in the organization as a suboptimal or, or, or um, an inferior role compared to the rest of the business goals? Well, people in organizations have a tendency to like their own silo most. Uh, if you work in finance, you think finance is great and the others aren't. And if you work in marketing, other, and so on and so on. Yes. In that sense, of course, there is always a bit of a challenge to the marketing part, marketing organization. I'd say the reputation of marketing correlates very strongly with marketing's influence on revenue. Give you an example. We have this funny trend right now that people are replacing chief marketing officers with chief growth officers. Coke just did this, by the way. And you think about this just for a moment. You know, you're replacing a chief marketing officer with a chief growth officer. It's like replacing a DJ with a dance floor filler, right? It's every <laughs> DJ's job to fill the dance floor. It's every marketer's job to generate growth, profitable growth and revenue. Marketers who are seen to creating growth and revenue have a much stronger reputation in companies than marketers who just worry about marketing and are not seen as driving revenue. Unfortunately, almost half of marketers are not seen as driving revenue, and those are the ones who have a significant reputational challenge. And Thomas, that actually reminds me of something that you mentioned in the book. Um, There's a difference between um, what you talk about how marketers need to differentiate themselves internally around whether they're seen as uh, as revenue or whether they're seen as a cost within the organization. Can you kind of explore that idea a little bit more? There's a simple um, equation here. I mean, just imagine you are the average, you know, CEO next door, right? What's on your mind, typically, right? It will be revenue, it will be cost, and it will be, say, organizational and some long-term strategic questions. If as a marketer you're not seen as revenue, what are you then? Well, you automatically cost. Yep. And what do you do with cost if you're a smart CEO, right? You try to you try to contain it or reduce it. So you have absolutely no choice as a marketer than to be seen as associated with growth and revenue. Because if you're not, you're cost and you are disposable. In a way, Right? It depends on your, your budgets depend on the mood of the day. And you can't let that, ha- let that happen. That's why it's so important as a marketer to associate yourself with revenue, which by the way, you, every marketer can, because even if you create the most distant brand awareness campaigns, and we can debate whether they are useful or not, but even those in reality at one point down the funnel will create a sale if they're effective. So, yes, there is that association. You just got to make it clear. So, I guess that brings me to one of the first major topics that I wanted to cover in in this discussion. How does one be an effective marketer? And that's a big big question. That's a really big question based on all the preface that we've just kind of worked ourselves up to. Yeah. But- um, you know, based on all of these challenges that we've discussed, mm-hmm. and I just want to leave you on that cliffhanger, <laughs> how do we be an effective marketer under those circumstances? So, first of all, um, I assume you start or you work in marketing because you like it. And that's an important 
first condition. This is a job which you can only do if you have a passion for it, because it will be it will be challenging, it will be complicated, there will be difficult times, so you're gonna like this. Number one, which most marketers, by the way, fulfill. Number two, you need to realize what marketing actually is. The marketing concept, if you think about it, is to serve customers profitably better than other competitors do. That's what marketing ultimately is supposed to do. It's a definition by London Business School professor Paddy Barwise, which, which I believe has a lot of truths. You know, serving customers profitably better than competition. You need to realize that that's your job. Now, what does that exactly mean? Because then it comes to the question of leadership. So this means you have two jobs. One is you got to understand customers and serve them. You also got to understand the company and serve it because if you don't, you can't serve customers profitably better than others and not just in, in a sustainable way. So if you think about two circles, and we talk about this in the book, the left circle is, say, the customer needs. The right circle has the company needs. And if you push them together, the place where they overlap, that's the value creation zone. That's the space where you as the marketer need to operate. So marketing leadership and success in marketing is all about people's ability to serve customers and the company to enlarge the overlap between the needs of two sides. That's the overarching principle. And marketers who focus on this value creation zone, who think hard about how to make this happen, those are the ones that succeed. You, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was gonna, I was gonna talk about uh, serving not only customers but servicing the company because that's a really central idea to the book, mm-hmm. and uh, and and I think uh, that's one that a lot of marketers tend to overlook. Um, you know, you, you spoke early on in this discussion about this book um, being not. It's not a marketing book. It's a leadership book. Learning to lead a marketing function within a company is more about learning how to create value within that company um, with, you know, the C-suite than it is about trying to develop better campaigns and do a better ad and a, and a whatever. So, how do you do that? <laughs> You're right. I mean, this is the point, right? I mean, I grew up as a marketer. I did uh, Kleenex products and I was uh, I led uh, Kimberly Clark's Kleenex household division in Europe and... You know, at the time, my focus was entirely on campaigns and on marketing. I wanted to grow share, and I was frustrated with the organizations because I didn't realize at the time that I had a whole different job internally, which is convince people. At this time, I was just more thinking they're not getting it, right? What I didn't think is that I had to do this. So um, this realization is important now. This is actually getting tougher. And here is the, the, here's the paradox. This is getting harder today because think about what's currently happening. Because there is a third gap. I talked about the trust gap and the, the power gap. There is a skills gap. Most marketers today, they wake up in the morning and they get very nervous about, oh my God, there's a new digital tool, there's a new digital skill, there's a new digital this and that, right? There are thousands of digital solutions. So everybody is going crazy right now trying to learn them all. And through this, digging deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper focusing even less on the company because we're also stressed out to get the marketing technology right. While what it would take at the moment is to actually step out of this hamster wheel and say, hey, you know, 
what 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 is my situation here what do we need to do with customers what's important for the company digital which should help us is currently preventing marketers from taking a larger perspective in that their companies so making it say even harder to focus on what matters and we can come on to what matters in a second but saying that's another complication a lot of marketers are currently facing not having the time and the focus to think internally or, or perhaps even the training. You know, early on in your career, you're taught uh, about campaigns and growing share and uh, and about ads, really. It's it's about executional tactics or maybe as you kind of get into mid-management, you start thinking about strategy, marketing strategy, where the brand is going to go and should you do this line extension or this one or that kind of thing. But I think one of the, the central ideas of this book is that um, being a marketing leader, and we're talking about chief marketing officer, you know, that, that in the C-suite of, uh, of, a, of an organization and, and working with the head of finance and the CEO and, you know, those kinds of roles, um, it actually requires a very different skill set to everything you've learned up until that point. That's, 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 exactly, that's exactly right. And by the way, this starts way earlier. This starts even if you join as a trainee in marketing, right? If, again, all you do is think about campaigns, you will hit walls much faster than people who think about the company and and the campaign side of things. But you're right. I mean, and why don't we start exactly with the C-suite? Because one of the very important skills you need to have as a marketer is to mobilize upwards, as we call it. Um, let me explain this uh, for a moment. When people think about leadership, most people think about leading teams. You know, how do I hire people and get the right people and motivate them and da-da-da-da-da. But in fact, marketing leadership is, to a large part, leading people that don't report to you, which is your boss and your peers. And if you, let's start with the C-suite or whoever. I mean, we can call it the department head or call it the country manager or the, the regional director, whoever the people are who are making the important decisions. It's quite critical that marketers are closing that trust gap that we talked about earlier. That gap that makes a marketer less credible than someone from finance because it's future stuff to close that gap. Um, it's a very important leadership skill. And the there are a number of things you can do to close that trust gap. So the key skill you need to mobilize upwards is indeed to not only um, know marketing, but also understand what the company needs. For example, if you want to mobilize your boss, you got to know what's on their agenda. I can't change the agenda or shape the agenda of a CEO or of a regional director or of, of, a, of a department head if I don't know what their three goals are. So are you as a marketer, do you know what's really on the agenda of your most important people? Do you know what it is that keeps them awake at night? You need, you need to know this and you need to be able to connect the things you're doing to that agenda. For example, if your company is in crisis, yeah, um, big problem with sales. Um, you know, the company has decided they need to downsize significantly. Um, we need to have you know a lot of um, changes in the organization. So there's huge cost pressure. If this is happening and you come with some segmentation projects, well, people will think you're crazy. But if in this situation you say, hey, you know, we looked at this as well, and here are some things we can actually do to be more effective and efficient, that's when you're talking. So the first skill is that you need to have is to combine what you know, what you need is important in the market 
with what's important for your senior people. And that's the first step for you to close the trust gap. And there are a few more, but let me pause here for a second. I love it. Uh, That is kind of tying back to what we were saying before about um, marketing marketing within the organization. And and in a way, um, I'm just kind of thinking about how the way to represent this, I guess, is if you think about your stakeholders, you know, the CEO or the or the whoever head of a department, and think about their um, their needs. You know, the way we the way we think about customer needs, think about their needs because um, it's our customers are not our only stakeholders, uh, and and we That's need right. to um, in terms of building that value creation zone uh, that overlapping part of the concentric circles in the Venn diagram that we love to we love Venn diagrams in marketing <laughs> but if we start to push that if we start to push those circles together and and uh, and start to create a, a bigger um, I guess a lip shape in the middle yeah. that really relies on on us uh, understanding other people within the organization and other people's intentions and motives and and fears and and all of their kind of uh, uh, yeah, everything that's motivating them. Exactly, and I think when when you when you pull this uh, push this thought further, one of the things that works very well in organizations is uh, numbers. I mean, it's very clear, right? The CEO, the CFO, those. I mean, everybody has numbers. Now you have numbers too as a marketer. The question is, do they want to see them? So it's crucial that you, as a marketer, find the right numbers that you show upwards to be relevant. And no, that's not segmentation data. No, that's not attribution data. No, that's not your campaign KPIs. No, what this is, is typically numbers that uh, create the relationship between your activities and things like number of customers, sales, long-term, short-term, churn, right? Hard numbers. We realize they're hard to do. Everybody understands that. That's why smart marketers actually team up with finance rather than trying to prove something to finance. Team up with finance and say, all right, then, so what do we do? How do we, how do we measure and how do we show the results of marketing? Jim Farley, when he took the helmet at Ford as a CMO, he did just that. They were in crisis and no money for marketing. He created with finance a model on how marketing works and basically did a big tour in explaining it to everybody. And that's when people churned out money for advertising because they finally understood what it did. So it's your job as a marketer to create that relationship and do it with finance. The other thing you want to do is you got to watch your language. Uh, I recently worked with a CMO and um, who, I, who I mentor on his way. He wants to become a CEO. And I took one of his very early charts, which he presented at a board meeting. And I was talking about the marketing priorities and it had on um, uh, segmentation. So they wanted to add millennials as a segmentation uh, dimension. It had um, more in, in increasing the amount of programmatic marketing across our channels. And I'm quoting the CEO here who said, whoever the, whatever the fuck that means. And it had a few other things. And <laughs> I, that, that by all marketing speak. And I spoke to that CEO um, in the process of my mentorship arrangement. And he said, when I saw this chart from one of my highest paid members of the team, I was losing my world to live. Because how on earth would any 
of that marketing bullshit, as you call it, be relevant to what we're doing? I'm sure it is kind of relevant, but why do I have to do the translation job? And he's right. I mean, these guys are our target group. We would never run a campaign to customers that goes with details of our small print, right? We would have clear messages in a way that customers understand. The same we have to do in our organizations. We have to be clear. And sorry, someone from finance doesn't care about segmentation, and that's okay. So finding the language that is associating yourself with revenue, with growth, or with cost, or with customers is absolutely essential if you want to Built if you want to bridge that trust gap. So you're not saying that uh, marketing is not important uh, or segmentation is not important or any of those kinds of things that we're doing. Um, it's just that the people that we that we work with and our and our peers and our bosses um, in senior leadership just don't really care about that stuff. No, and why should they? Right, we're not caring about the HR details of some HR system that they have in a backup. Right? Would you ever go to a customer and say, "Hey, dear customer, we have identified you as segment five A in our segmentation, which does mean you should have a very high interest in the following three products, of which we're not going to show you one, which we know you're going to happy to pay X percent of a premium for, because we do a significant amount of, of attribution, so that we can do programmatic marketing. We, we don't say these things to customers. Right? <laughs> we would never do that. Never. We would yeah. say, "Here's a great thing. This will help you. Here's what it will do, and you know, why don't you go and buy it?" We need to do the same in the organization. Here's what we're doing. Here's why this matters. Give us more budget because here's the result you'll get, right? Estimated, of course, with some risk. That's what we need to do. Yeah, and, and, and those numbers that you're talking about are things like ROI and uh, customer lifetime value and, uh, uh, like you said, churn numbers and things like that. The things that you can't figure out um, just on your own as a marketer. It's not, you know, um, brand awareness or, or whatever. Uh, it's it's kind of an elevated metric of um, other other things. Yeah, and finance will help. I mean, look, if you sit with with your finance leader, it could be a CFO, but it could also just be, you know, someone who know you know very well in finance. It could be, you know, mended. It could be many things, and and you could just say, hey, you know, this is difficult, right? Can I get your help, right? Because Everybody in finance knows that we can't measure everything. They're, they're not very intelligent people. So why don't we work together and figure this out? And then just imagine you go to something, you present something which finance has done together with you. How much more credible will you be? And, you know, it's, it's a very easy thing to do. And I think they'll be delighted if you come. So, Thomas, marketing has changed a lot over the last, let's say, five years, you know, with the revolution of digital um, and, and how uh, a lot of marketers are thinking about uh, how social media and, and websites and apps and all those kinds of things can, can impact what they're doing. And, uh, and you know, we're seeing the, the emergence of um, roles like chief digital officers mm -hmm. um, and digital transformation, which is really rocking the marketing world within organizations because, you know, marketing is really the touch point that customers have with an organization. So, when we're talking about how a company needs to communicate and start to um, uh, be more customer-facing in, in a digital sense, um, that's really down to a marketing role and, and quite often a marketing budget. Mm -hmm. um, but in the book, when we talk about marketing skills uh, and, and this skills gap that marketers have, um, you don't really talk much about digital. 
Yes, that's that's exactly right. And um, the main reason, of course, is because it is not a marketing book. So um, there and there are about uh, one hundred thousand books on digital marketing skills. So we didn't want to add uh, much to this. But there is, of course, a big new skill set arising because of digital, and that's not to operate. It's not operating digital tools. Now that's a very specific thing. To be very honest. Each of the 3,600 and so on digital solution that Scott Brinker has counted last year has their own skill set that it requires. And, but there is, there are two parts that are very important to this. The first one is digital more than ever requires strategic leadership by marketers. And here is why. Digital solutions are very important and they'll change the face of tactical marketing, not of strategic marketing, but of tactical marketing. Absolutely. And there's a lot to learn, but it's impossible to learn all of that. So the key skill you need to have as a marketer is pick and choose and understand why you're picking something. Give you an example. If you have a company that struggles to retain customers, Right. If that's your biggest problem, you have lots of customers, they kind of, they started to run away. You have a big churn issue. Yeah. When you zoom out and understand this, you would then look for digital tools that would help you fix or improve your churn situation. That's very different from a company that has the problem of reaching customers because we're totally new and nobody knows us. And there may be digital tools that are very, very effective in helping you do this. You need to pick the right ones. But to be able to do this, you first of all need to zoom out and strategically define what the most important priorities are that you have as a company. What will help the company most before you go to any digital conference and start shopping around for tools? Unfortunately, money marketers don't do that. They shop around for tools, get stuck, and then, of course, get very deep. So the trick is, it's almost zooming in and zooming out. You need to have a a bird's eye perspective on what matters, and everybody can do this for their own company. What's the most important thing we can do now for our customers? Forget tools for a second. What is really key? And then be able to zoom in and pick a few very select tools and then go deep and understand them because you can't just say, I'm going to buy it and see what happens. You have to, of course, get deep. Yeah, But it's about zooming in and zooming out. That's the first skill. The second skill is getting the team balance right. So in the past, typical marketing teams had a certain, you know, notion. They were more analytical or more creative. And if the boss was creative, everybody else was creative. If the boss was analytical, everybody else was analytical. Now your challenge is to figure out what the right balance is. You need new skills. There are people you need to have analytic skills and what have you. But there's no news here. Everybody knows this. I mean, everybody who listens to this understands what that challenge is. Your challenge as the leader is, are you able to step up Look back, take a big picture view and say, right, what are the most important decisions I need to make in my team and for my digital skills? So this ability to zoom out is the crucial skill that we need in digital. And then from there on, things will be significantly easier. So it's interesting that you talk about team there. And I did want to ask you about this other theme that came up in the book, which is about mobilizing uh, your team. Mm Mm-hmm. Why is that important, firstly? And then secondly, how do you do that? <laughs> yes. So, I mean, there are two teams you work with, right? One is you're the team that reports to you, and then there is everybody else. 
So why don't we start with the team that reports to you, so the people that directly report to you. So what we learned uh, throughout the research, and we, we, we show in the 12 powers of a marketing leader a lot of details on how the numbers came together, but we can prove that to lead a great team, you need to first of all have a team that has a great structure and direction, and I'll come to this in a second. There is a coaching element, and there is performance management, and they all matter. The most important are performance management and the structure and the direction. So let me start there. I talked already about the the skills mix, the balance between analytic and creative. What's very interesting is that what we found is that a lot of marketing teams are a bit off when it comes to the skills that they would need. And the interesting thing is it will not be digital that I'm raising first. (laughs) But if you think about what really matters for success in marketing, well, it's of course, there is brand, there is promotion, there is distribution, there is price, there's product, all these things. Something, for example, that's really important is price. And very few marketing teams have a competence there. That's a huge skills gap. It's an analytic skills gap that many teams have. There is also digital, which currently is, of course, growing. Not yet that important, actually. There are companies who don't have it and are still doing really well. But it will come, of course. So it's getting that focus right, getting the balance right. And that requires you to step back. We have we show great examples of the you know transfer for London leader, marketing leader, um, who basically came in and had a complete relook at the entire skill space and rebalanced the team and did a fabulous job doing this. But there also is alignment. When I meet a marketing team and I ask everybody to write on a white sheet of paper, what are your three priorities? Many times I get about 20 to 30 priorities for a small team. Yeah, It's a job of the marketing team to make clear what everybody's fighting for. Hugely important. And and also, that I might add, that needs to align with what the company more broadly is trying to achieve. That's exactly right. I mean, how could the marketing team have different priorities from the company? That That is per se not possible. I mean, it happens, but it shouldn't. If you think about the two circles, right? Customer and company needs, you've got to be in a value creation zone and that's what the priorities are. But everybody in the team needs to understand this. The problem is some people, some leaders just say it once and then they hope. Everybody will remember, no, it's something you have to, you have to do day by day by day by day again and again to make sure everybody gets it. It's, it's like a campaign, right? That you run. It's just not one ad you do. Uh, it requires more. Then there's performance management. Marketers are really good at being nice to their people. But I have to say, um, marketers have a reputation for, uh, letting things slip in the C-suite, rightly or wrongly. Right, it's not always fair, but it starts with marketers coming late to meetings. Right, that diminishes your performance <laughs> management <laughs> brand to to unrecoverable levels. Yeah, uh, I, yep. wrote, I just wrote for Marketing Week about why marketers are always late, and there is that thing. Right, so there is that. I mean, are you seriously managing performance, your own performance, and your team's performance? Do people know what matters, and do you celebrate if people are really doing outstanding work? And do you sometimes let people go if they're not? I mean, are there consequences? The biggest frustrations I have when I talk to marketing teams is to say, yeah, you're A, B, or C. They're not really working hard and they get away with it. It's really, really toxic for teams. And it's the job of the marketing leader to fix this at any level, even if you have just two people, right? You don't have to be the CMO to do this. And lastly, you need to create an atmosphere where people are asking for forgiveness 
and opt for permission. Where they, where the deal is, you as a marketer, you go out and try stuff, right? And if you screw up, just come back and tell us what you did. And so let's learn from this. Let's be honest about it. And of course, don't do it twice. But what I ask you as a leader to do is to, to go out and try rather than double check and triple check every single decision, except like for the really important ones. Creating that atmosphere of forgive, uh, forgiveness, not permission, makes a huge difference in a team's effectiveness. If you combine this, you tell people what the goal is, you create an atmosphere of forgiveness and not permission, and you really look at performance in a, in a good way and celebrate success, but also take on things. You will you know, double the effectiveness of every average marketing team in a couple of weeks. That's a big statement. Um, just as a bit of a tangent, why are marketers always late? <laughs> so, so I did some research around this uh, and it started uh, when I was at a conference. I speak a lot of conferences at, at internal marketing conferences and my slot got moved and then I moved to the same day. I had another one and it got moved again. I felt like, goodness, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so I think there is, and everybody felt it was quite normal. Uh, that's that's actually the really surprise. That's actually a really frustrating piece. No, I think right. there are good and bad reasons, right? I mean, let's start with the bad reasons. The bad reasons are, um, you know, you think you're important and other people aren't. Uh, and that's, of course, wrong. Uh, you think you don't have a role as a role model. And that's not true. I mean, your your performance, right, multiplies if you're a team leader, right? If you're 10 minutes late and 10 people wait, right, <laughs> there's already 100 minutes <laughs> plus your 10, right? You create huge issues. Um, that's all. You can only do this if you think you're not a role model. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But there are sometimes good reasons to be late. I mean, look, customers can be unpredictable. Something can blow up in your company, a customer complains, and then you have to act, you have to change things very fast. That happens. And there's another perhaps good reason. I mean, the beauty of being in marketing is that people are a little bit more open and a little bit more creative, a little bit more like holistic. But it also means you get very easily distracted. If there's something popping up, popping up that's interesting, it's very hard to disconnect yourself. So there is that, that, that beauty of you know appreciating new things but you know they can distract you quite a lot so i think they're good and bad reasons but i'd say like this as a marketing leader if you want to be taken serious in your company you're just not coming late i mean that's it right i mean there's not much more to add that's probably good <laughs> advice for, for anybody in within an organization just respect other people so it's very simple right <laughs> So, Thomas, a lot of our discussion has kind of focused around how to, you know, move from being a, a marketing practitioner or, or thinking about ma being a marketing practitioner, moving more towards being a marketing leader. And I guess that's in the title of the book. But uh, I just wanted to kind of ask you, um, as we kind of wind this up, how do, how do you transition to be more of a marketing leader? So, this is about g getting started and then learning. I mean, this is very simple. Uh, first of all, it's, it is a mindset question. It is about realizing that your job is to not only market products in the market outside, but also to serve the company and to, to understand the customers, quote unquote, there and to do it right, which is not unusual, which is not art, which is exactly part of your job. And it's right to be like this. Um, so 
accepting that is the first step. I think the second one, and we've shown this in the 12 powers of a marketing leader, that many of the things we talk about are behaviors. This has nothing to do with your personality, how you're wired, or with some, you know, with some secretive skills. It's not. We could have improved that personality plays a relatively small role. And we have very good evidence for this supported by the data from NCR Business School. So it's, it's a pretty solid statement we can make. It's about picking up these skills one by one. For example, okay, why don't you start um, mobilizing the agenda of your boss by just, you know, looking at having a look at what is their, what's on their agenda, right? What is it? How could I connect my work? Why don't you talk with finance and say, okay, let's be honest. Let's be serious. How do we do numbers? Huh? Let's do it jointly. It is about, and we haven't spent a lot of time on this, but realizing that a lot of people don't report to you. So what's the story you tell? Everybody can think about a story of hope that they tell in the organization. How do I engage with my colleagues? Because they don't report to me, I have to convince them. So how do I meet them? How do I listen to their arguments? How do I take them on board and create something that's useful? How do I start movements? I mean, if we want to fill a dance floor at a party, you get on the dance floor and find followers. You can do the same in companies. You don't have to wait for your boss to tell everybody. The question is who follows you? Or leading your team, it's the thing, you know, stepping back, thinking about who are the people that I need, what are the tools we need before we go in detail. All those things that we talk about in the 12 parts of a marketing leader, most of them are not rocket science. In fact, they're actually reasonably simple things to do, but they do take training. They do take trial and error. So I would encourage marketers to first of all say, look, you know, the reason I'm a marketer is because I love that job. I can pick up a few skills to help me do marketing internally better, which results into more standing, ideally more budgets, and also more impact for the company. Nothing to do with personality is stuff I can learn. I love it. And that's great, great advice for people who are senior marketers uh, trying to kind of, I guess, better their, their leadership skills, but also for those who are at the start of their career and who are trying to figure out their way in this world of marketing and, and I guess realizing that they need to start to develop more leadership skills and people skills and internal skills rather than um, external tactics and campaigns and just pumping out ads. That's that's really sage advice. So, Thomas, what's exciting you right now? Um, right now, uh, it's my vac- my upcoming vacation, in all fairness. I'm off to Bhutan <laughs> in two days, but also the fact that um, the 12 powers of a marketing leader was actually recently sold out uh, in, in, in Europe here. And um, so it's actually going well. So really getting the word out and my vacation. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, it's, uh, I- I'm sure once you write a book, you go on the kind of publicity trail and you're doing interviews like this and, and kind of trying to get the word out and speaking at conferences and traveling and that kind of thing. It can be very exhausting. So um, I think you probably deserve a break. <laughs> well, I can, I can do my hobby. So that's actually isn't that nice. So I shouldn't complain. <laughs> what's uh, what's what's your hobby? Well, what I'm doing. So my work is my hobby. So that's why I've, I've chosen it on purpose. I love marketing and marketers, so I can do what I like doing as a hobby for work. Mm-hmm. And who should I interview next? Ah, so I of course have a very strong recommendation at this point. Um, and I strongly recommend Patrick Barweis. Uh, Patrick Barweis is not only my co-author, but he has been leading, 
been a chair of London Business School's marketing uh, faculty for many years, the, was the chairman of which, uh, the world's second largest consumer organization. And he has a very straight message to marketers that's called Simply Better, which is he can prove that serving customers better, and even if it's a little bit better, is actually what really drives value in companies. It's extremely insightful and fun to listen to. Great. Well, thank you for the recommendation and, uh, and thanks for coming on the show. It was, uh, it was my pleasure, Adam, and uh, thanks for having me and uh, all the very best to all the marketers who listen to this. Thanks for listening to Mate. Thomas, thanks for coming on the show. I hope you got to enjoy your vacation. It is well-deserved, um, but thanks for sharing your insights with us. It was really, really fascinating. If you'd like to find out more information about the show or um, me, head to the website matepodcast.com. Please follow the show on social media. Um, I'm posting really interesting articles and tips and tricks uh, on a daily basis. Um, It's Mate Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And of course, I ask this every week, um, but it would really make my day if you could leave a review on iTunes if you haven't already. This show was edited by Josh Armour from Armapod Productions. The Mate logo is by Courtney Carmen, and the music is by Nine Inch Nails, used under a Creative Commons license. Mate Podcast is made with love and sleepless nights in uh, my hometown, Melbourne, Australia. I am your host, Adam Jaffrey, and this was a Jaffrey product. Bye for now. What was the last thing you heard? Uh, that you're moving your desk. I must have yanked a cable or something. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I recorded here at the office because I thought that it would be quieter because usually I have my um, my dog barking in the background that mm-hmm. ruins every recording and mm-hmm. now the cleaner was um, using the vacuum around here.